Hello, documentarians. This is the third episode and the third pre-show intro. I keep saying I don't know how much I'm going to do of these, but uh, I seem to like them. Maybe I just need to embrace them. But I just want to intro our next theme, which is going to be part of the pantheon of documentaries. This is the episode, the first episode, with the lovely one. Now, we will be talking about true crimey related things and also some other things that she's just interested in, but mostly true crime related material. Talking about documentaries of all various types, with all various types of people, what it is, we are going to be discussing a little bit of everything. Not only will we rank documentaries and set them into an eternal file, in which we will all remember, but we will actually be discussing social issues, sports issues, political issues, musical journeys, and stories of nature and crime. That's what Documenteers is all about. Strap in, have a seat, ride a train, whatever the hell you're doing, and get down. Now, here is a motion picture film, a thousand feet, 16,000 separate photographs. Let's tidy up this tangle of film by putting it on a reel. They couldn't hear me. They couldn't see me. But I could hear them and see them. say cunt collected things no it doesn't say cunt it says aunt what's up docs <laughs> is that your catchphrase yeah but with uh x not a cs Ooh. okay it kind of helps lit- for litigious region re- regions re- regions re- reasons litigious reasons litigious reasons this is the documenteers podcast welcome with me here is uh, my total peace. <laughs> my wife, Angela. Hi. Stuart, who I call my, he's kind of my main hoe for podcast purposes. Oh, is he? Yeah, like he and I will talk about probably more of a variety of podcasts or mm-hmm. documentaries rather. And Drew is my sports documentary guy. Word. The type of documentaries that you and I are going to talk about, with some exceptions, will be more of the true crime variety of documentaries. Yes. Because yes. we love true crime. Yes, we do. And we... Too much, probably. We consume a lot of it. I don't read a lot of true crime, like, books, like... But I, mean, I, I read a lot of articles, tons of articles. Yeah. But not like, oh, this whole book about this i really don't find myself reading those last year i went on kind of a true crime book buying spree just like used books and stuff and now i have probably 10 paperback books about true crime stories i have not read a single page of one of them sure i have read some things about i read devil in the white city is one of my favorite true crime books ever if anybody has not read that i'm sure you have if you like this kind of stuff but it is an amazing book about um, not only hh holmes but Chicago at the time of the World's Fair. It's a lot about um, architecture. I have a friend who 
went into city planning because of that book, but also started loving true crime because of that book. Um, so if you haven't read Devil in a White City, highly recommend. Aside from that, I really haven't read that many true crime things at all. We saw a shitty documentary about H.H. H. Holmes. We really, really did. I would probably get like one and a half Heard songs. It, <laughs> one and a half, I feel like, is very generous. Wow. To be honest, because I will give, I would give more Herzogs to a documentary that was made well, even if I didn't like the subject matter. And I might give a higher one to something that I like the subject matter if it was not made as good. But this was so bad. It was so bad that I actually sort of wished I hadn't seen it. Sure. And that rarely happens because I like the subject matter. Half to one. The only true crime books that I've read, this was before we even really got deep into true crime. I read this book about this former biker who infiltrated an outlaw biker gang to stop this white supremacist group from committing uh, domestic terrorism. Mm -hmm. And it was very much like, I wouldn't call it like the most fantastically written book, but it was true and it was from this guy's perspective i was really into that book for some reason you read sections of that book to me yeah bobby reads to me sometimes it's pretty awesome yeah that's right ladies <laughs> does your husband read to you sometimes oh man he should you should tell him does your husband read to you like a child it's <laughs> not like a child no it's sultry. You're not reading me children's books it's also not sultry <laughs> you're just reading me books <laughs> sometimes it's fun sometimes i'll read comic books to her as well that's pretty that's pretty great that could be challenging sometimes describing the panel you really maybe want to aim for those writers who are really into nine panel grids full of dialogue maybe not so much the full of double page spreads <laughs> or something and other than that i've read about half of uh bury my heart at wounded knee which i consider a true crime book Historical oh. true crime. We've got that book about the Osage murder. I am halfway through that. Oh. I am halfway through that. That's what I was actually about to say. I started reading it on a flight a couple of months ago, and I read it like while I was on the trip. And then once I got back, I put it down. And I'm really terrible about taking time to read. I should read more. I don't read enough. I used to consume books. Um, but it's a really well-written book. I kind of got to like an end of a the book's written in different sections, and I definitely got to, like, an end of a section. And so it was kind of easy to put down. So. Re- I feel bad. I don't remember the author's name. The book is called Killers of the Flower Moon. I haven't read the book yet, but sometimes you, you got a book, and you know it's going to be good even yeah. before you read it. It's a good book. So I'm excited so about that one. But we're actually going kind of light as far as, like, true crime goes on for our first episode. Yeah. Because... Uh, because you and I, we're going to be talking about, like, a lot of stuff that's going to bring us down, you know. We'll be talking about some sad-ass shit. As far as, like, the breaking the law varieties, this one is light. This is more of a, well, this is a podcast reference, but this is more of a criminal episode, not so much a last podcast on the left. The movie we are discussing, Voyeur, by Miles Kane and Josh Curry. Netflix original. This is about Gerald Foose. Yeah, Gerald Foose. And uh, and his relationship with the uh, writer, he was a prolific writer, Gay Talese, and their relationship centering around the fact of Gerald is a peeper creeper. He sure is. Gerald actually purchased a hotel for the express purpose of spying on people. 
he had a plan. Like he wasn't just someone who happened upon a situation where he could easily spy upon people. He created a scenario where he could really do some hardcore peeping. It was an it was an attic scenario. They popped it on a ladder, fake vents through each room. Yeah, he put in, like he bought he bought this hotel and this hotel, we were born in the eighties. Just looking at this hotel like took me back. So Gary Foose has a 40-year secret, 47-year secret that he's very proud of. And he is telling all this to the writer, Gay Talese. He's got style. He is 80 years old. He looks good for 80. And he's like a well-dressed gentleman. He wrote a book in the 80s. When he was married, went into a nudist colony and lived among them for a while and participated in... The Swing- things that they were doing. Uh, like, apparently he did some swingery shit, too. Like, he wasn't just naked. He was participating. All of his articles and all of his research, he puts in these boxes. And when it first showed the shot of the boxes on the shelf, I thought they were Lego sets. Like, they kind of look like that to me. Oh, yeah. Well, because it's because he collages his boxes with, like, memories, which is amazing. Really cool. Yeah, he publishes this book. Gerald Foose contacts Gay Talese and he's like, have I got uh, something for you? And apparently Gay goes and visits this guy. They've been in contact for uh, decades by the point that this movie is being filmed. And Gay goes, and this guy, he brings him to the Manor House Motel. And Gay does verify by going up into an attic, in which Gerald calls the observation platform. Yes. Which is a center point in which he can kind of stand and look down on all these rooms. Gay walks up there, and he looks down a vent, and he watches a bajet go down. Oh, yeah. I forgot that he actually saw, I knew he saw... An act, but I didn't know. And this was, this started, I mean, this was like 1980. Like that letter was written, the date of the letter is January 7th, 1980. So this has been a 37, 35 year, whenever this was recorded, relationship that they have had. So Gay observes a blowjob through the, and he verifies that this setup is real, that this is a for real thing. He saw it. He was there. And he begins collecting. He begins writing and collecting data. He hasn't really revealed Gerald at this time. Well, because part of that was he wanted to tell the story, but only if he could use Gerald's name. He would have written the story, but he wasn't going to just write the story about some anonymous person in some anonymous motel. He wasn't going to scare the world about this dude, right? So what was happening through these years is Gerald would write letters to Gay, And Gay kept them all, and they talked. I don't think he ever went there again. I think it was just the one time that he visited until possibly the making of the documentary. He said at one point that a good reporter follows a story sometimes longer than might seem, like, reasonable. Because what if at some point it becomes interesting? He didn't want to just drop this guy. Because it was a story that he wanted to tell, but he had rules. He wanted to use names. When Gay observes the blowjob, mm-hmm. he tells the st- part of the story where as he's leaning down, his tie oh, yes. goes through the vent. Gerald puts his hand on his shoulder. Because the way he's telling the story, Gerald like just shuts him up in the room. And then suddenly Gerald's putting his hand on his shoulder. How do you not like scream out, you know? Right. That could and, have been a very bad situation. And pulls him up. 
from the vent. And he's like, you got to be careful. Gay almost, according to the story he told, almost blew it by having his tie dangled through the peat vent. Yeah. Blew it. Get it? You like what I did there? <laughs> right. Now, we get into a little bit into Gerald's history. Uh, he, As he describes, he comes from an environment of repressed sexuality. But despite that, he's remarkably open. He goes the complete opposite way of a repressed environment. Some people carry that repression on. He does the exact opposite. He becomes very obsessive about it. He's married. He has a first wife. I think they separate. And then he hooks up with a woman named Anita Clark, who are fully aware of his habits and what he does. And I think part of that truly is... Because he's so open about it, because he's so comfortable with himself, like, he has no qualms about saying, hey, I want to date you. Also, I peep at people. Like, that's just part of his, of who he is. Like, he's so upfront, honest about it. I did want to talk, you mentioned his past, though. Like, I did want to talk about, like, how it all kind of started. He talks about why he likes to do this sort of thing. And it goes back to when he was a child. He lives across the street from his aunt. He decided one day when he was going through puberty or as he called puberdance that he wanted to like look in her window and just kind of see what she was doing and he he called it a beckoning window and he like looked through and he saw her basically became obsessed with watching his aunt like he could see right into her window he became obsessed with like everything that she did um he wanted to like start collecting things because she collected things like there's this whole thing where he collects stuff and it's because his aunt collected things like he just became obsessed with this woman his aunt was apparently his aunt Catherine was uh was a fox according to her nephew <laughs> oh yeah yeah and when he's telling this story anita is like in the room like masturbating you don't... Oh, <laughs> no i was in my puberty oh oh also speaking of the wives so yeah like anita his current wife is like sitting while he's in the documentary talking about this stuff to gay in the documentary they mentioned her at first, and then they, when they showed her older, I wrote, uh, handwritten all caps, Anita is still around. Yes. Yeah, I wrote, um, I think my, here's my description of Anita in my notes is, USA Olympic shirt, bleached blonde wife. She's really into the While Olympics. eating, she was all about, you can tell that she, like, genuinely cares about him. There's moments in the documentary where she'll say things to him, like, you know, for him to not get so upset, or... For him to not be so worried. I mean, she genuinely, like, stop. cares for this man. Yeah, stop masturbating, right? Don't masturbate right now, Gerald. <laughs> Wait till but the also, cameras are gone. I don't know how he finds these women because his first wife, I wrote down also, his first wife's name was Donna, actually, mm. his first wife. When he would be up in the attic masturbating three to four times a night, which is what he said he would do, she would bring him Cokes and snacks. Isn't she sweet? Oh, wow. She's just the sweetest. Oh, she's the best. She was like, babe, I know you probably like, you know, at least two in your three to four times. So I thought you might need some refreshments. Well, Hitler had his Eva Braun <laughs> and Gerald Foose has his Anita Clark. That is quite... I don't know how hands-on Anita is. I don't know if she goes <laughs> up there. I feel like Anita probably doesn't want to be involved, but she knows about it. It's, even for Gerald, it might be an unfair link to compare them both to Hitler and Eva Braun, but... We should. Just other famous couples, you know, that were complicit and 
in crimes. Yeah, and we should say, too, that, like, if you have not seen this documentary yet, totally watch it. Part of it is the reason that he did decide to talk at this point is because he no longer owned the motel when this documentary started. He was free from it. He does not ever mention the entire time whether he still peeps on people in any sort of way. Right. They never ask him. He never mentions it. I really wanted to know if he's still, like, you know, staring at the neighbor down the street or whatever. But he doesn't. And he lives in a house with Anita in a nice neighborhood. But, yeah, so at this point, he's not he's not at the hotel anymore. It's it's in the past. Now, when Gerald, Gerald talks about his compulsions in such a way, because they're so strong in him, or he describes them as being so strong, he connects it as, like, a spiritual experience. Oh, for sure. Like, to him... That compulsion could only mean that it's something to do with God. It's the way he's made. It's the way he's made, so it couldn't be wrong. He also attributes the fact that he has found two wives who are accepting of him as a credit to God. Thank you, Jesus. Now, Gerald, uh, based on uh, information that Gay has received, Gerald has documented in detail, like, all the things that he has seen. So not only does he excuse his compulsions through spirituality, but he also claims his acts have an academic purpose. He took copious amounts of notes like charts for sex acts and he but his notes made himself third person and he called himself the voyeur he at some point i don't know if it's him or gay but someone just compare literally compares him to kenzie you know as in like he was tracking things with these charts and these facts like he was compiling this data that i feel like he thought would be useful to the world at some point which is why he wanted to make this connection to gay like he literally wanted a book to be written about him he had like odd moral codes. Mm. He was a quite a moralizer for a dude that had no qualms like invading people's privacy. He would be angry at others' indiscretions if they were doing drugs. He'd be very oh, judgmental. Yeah. Oh yeah. He told a story about a guy who was eating chicken and he wiped the his <laughs> hands on the blanket. And he would rig environments. Oh yes. Like he he said he would put sex toys in it and he claimed that the women loved it more than the men. Yeah, he would plant these dildos and then sometimes people occasionally people would bring them to the front desk, like someone left this thing or just ignore it or put it in a bottom drawer, but he obviously got really excited when people decided to use these toys. He told a story of uh, an attractive young couple that rented a room. And when they were Going to get down, they turned off all the lights on the TV and he couldn't see anything. So he said that he went downstairs, pulled his car in front of the window of where their room is, and just left his high beams on. Yeah. And went back upstairs and watched him get down. And then the guy, the dude in there was like, some idiot left his lights on. And you wouldn't figure a guy would be so, like, judgy of people if you're going to be a peeper creep, you know? Well, but like you said, like, he had a moral code. He doesn't see what he's doing as wrong. But anyone that impedes him doing that does not like, right? Because they're getting in his way of doing the thing he wants to do. He hates dogs because dogs saw him. You guys, get a dog. Um, dogs pick up on things that people don't pick up on. He'd be staring through, and dogs would literally look right up at him. They knew he was there, so he hated it when people brought dogs. A dog will let you know that a peeping Tom is there by barking, and you'll respond by telling it to shut the fuck up. Right, because you're not thinking that some creepo is staring at you through the vent. He looks like a creep. (laughs) That was, like, the first thing I wrote down. Huge letters on my notepad was creep. 
I'm thinking about growing out a ponytail. Please don't. Does he have a ponytail? I don't think he the ponytail. But he's but, got like a very distinct, very darkly dyed goatee. You know he had to have had a ponytail at some point. Now, his notes have descriptions of, like, social statuses, which was a little confusing. Like, he would write down, like, college educated. How would he know who went to college and who didn't? He, he did. He made, like, a bunch of assumptions. Now, I sort of thought when we were watching it that those kind of assumptions might have been made because of conversations he had with them when they were checking it. Like, maybe he asked people questions because he wanted to know things about them. Because that was part of his research. You wouldn't think twice if, like, a friendly guy checking you in at the motel asks you where you're from, where you went to school. Like, you just think he's some kind of little bit of a nosy old dude. It seemed to me, and I, it was kind of my first alarm, uh, what he was talking about, because it just seemed like he had, like, a selective, selectively meticulous and it seemed like there was a lot of what I briefly saw in the notes as being, like, very kind of presumptive. Yeah, and then I feel like he did things, too, when he... I don't know if it's when he would get bored, but, you know, we talked about, like, the planting the dildos. But he also did this thing for a while where he would plant a locked suitcase in a room, and then he would make some sort of... He would stage some big thing where, while the people were in the office, they would call about a missing suitcase, and they'd start asking people, like, if you find this suitcase, someone left this suitcase with a bunch of money in it somewhere in the hotel, and we can't find it. Or he'd say something to his wife about it in front of people. And then when they would check into their room, there would be this suitcase there, and it, he would watch the people to see what they would do with the suitcase. Like, would they try to open it? Would they take it back to the office? And because it was locked, like, he actually witnessed quite a few people, like, opening the suitcase, like, breaking into the suitcase, which was then empty. Yeah. Which then he said, like, he got, like, a thrill. It was, like, a judgy thrill. Like, because he got to, like, judge them for the fact that they weren't honest, right? And that they wanted this money and they were going to, like, steal it. But then he got to watch them work their way out of this situation. People would, he said, sometimes go put this, like, broken suitcase in their trunk, try to hide it. He said one guy, like, threw it out a window. And he got, like, giddy talking about that. Like, it excited him uh-huh. to, to cause something to make someone else do something immoral. Like, he made he made someone make a decision. Gerald then tells a story. He he claims he spies on a dealer. A drug dealer. A drug dealer. <laughs> and the drug dealer uh, stashes some drugs into a wall, into the wall, like a like a vent at the base of the wall, an actual vent, not a fake peeper vent. Mm-hmm. The guy and his girl step out. I forget how it goes down, but no one's in the room. Gerald goes into the room, and he says he takes the drugs out and he flushes it all down the toilet. He says he did it because he had witnessed the drug dealer selling to kids and he wanted to like punish this dude. That was basically what he said is that the drug dealer was selling to children. So he flushed down the toilet to like punish this man or make him stop selling drugs. He thought he was doing something. So he's a hero. He was trying to be a hero. He's a hero. Yeah, he's totally a hero. Well, as he keeps going in the story, the dealer comes back, can't find the fucking drugs. He has no idea where the drugs have gone. And his only his only rationale is that his girlfriend did it. And Gerald says that he watched this drug dealer beat his girlfriend. Yeah. And then strangle her. I don't know how I don't I don't know how you watch that. I know that there's a point at which you have to if you are this person who is spying you're seeing something you're not supposed to see. It's like that that fucking what's that Hitchcock movie? 
The birds. No. Vertigo. No. The one Notorious. where it's the, the one where it's like the man who's in the wheelchair and he's watching the apartment building across the way and he sees a murder. You guys I know know this, like listening to this and are like wanting to kill us right now for not knowing this movie. But it's it's that's the premise of the story, is he basically sees what he thinks is something terrible happen, but then what does he do about it? Because how do you then tell that you saw something that you were never supposed to see? So then he has to make he, he sees this beating happen. The guy takes the drugs, or no, he doesn't have the drugs. He just leaves. He bails, according to Gerald. Mm -hmm. And he, Gerald said he thought he saw the girl was breathing. Right. But as it turns out, this woman had died and an ambulance had come. Like the next morning. He was so worried about someone finding out what he was doing. All he had to do was make an anonymous call like, hey, I'm staying in this hotel and I hear this screaming and I think something awful happened and call the cops. Like, he doesn't have to disclose himself. He can pretend like he doesn't know. You can make a phone call like that. You don't have to say who you are. He could have gone down the street to a payphone, called the cops. Now, this is uh, quite a story because it's interesting to Gay that he makes it like, oh, he's selling drugs to kids. I'm going to stash the drugs. But then the story kind of makes him complicit in a murder. Yeah, totally. Now, Gerald sold the, sold the motel in the 90s, and he sealed off the events. Yeah. And he starts to get nervous about the disclosure, but Gay ain't having it. And Gay is like, I never spent years on this to have this be some anonymous bullshit. Yeah, so what it is is, like, Gerald basically says, you can use my name, but you can't say the name of the hotel or the motel. Yeah. He says, like, you can use my name, but you can't say the motel, like, after he sells it. That's what he starts, like, backing out about because he's worried about this murder and he's worried about people who might have stayed there now knowing that he was peeping on them. And Gay is, uh, he's going to start looking into the records of this murder. And he is acknowledging that his only source for all of this is Gerald. Now, there's also a scene where Gerald and Anita, they are pack rats, like you said, and they take the, the documentary crew to, like, his basement. He has endless amounts of sports cards and memorabilia. Coins, stamps. Creepy dolls. Oh, there's a whole doll room. They have so much junk. They are hoarders. They really, really are. Also, I find it very, very interesting to me that he is someone who basically pries into people's lives without their knowledge, but he seems to be very paranoid about his own security and safety. Like, he has an alarm for his house. He carries a gun. He's, like, really paranoid about people knowing he has this big collection. There's a thing later where Gay, like, mentions his collection to, like, a, like another reporter, and he, like, freaks out because he's like, don't tell people I have my, about my stuff. They might come try to get it. Like, he's real paranoid about his own life and safety. Gay starts looking at this murder. He can't find records of the murder as he's told it in the location as he's told it. Yeah. But he does find a similar murder that's almost a lot like what Gerald described. I want to call him Jerry. I'm just going to call him Jerry. Two years later and then like a... Or in a different location. Not two years later, two miles later in a different... Yeah, two miles away. And uh, Gay's daughter contacts him because Gay wants her, she's a painter, he wants her to do a painting from the oh, pictures yeah. of this motel. Oh, I'm going to look up uh, Google Maps, see if I can't see what it looks like from that ground view. Yeah, she wasn't really happy with the photos. She wanted, like, a better a better view, which, who can blame her? And that hotel is demolished. Yeah, so then they almost have this, like, party about it because what... 
Jerry kept saying was that he didn't want, again, like the people who stayed in the hotel to know that he was peeping, but he also was concerned about the current owner being upset or suing him or something mm. because maybe people wouldn't want to go there anymore. They got excited about it. Like, ah, it's demolished. No one owns it anymore. Yeah. We can say whatever we want to say. I wrote in my notes here randomly, I want to look in Anita's medicine cabinet. So after the records of this murder don't make sense with how Gerald describes it, mm-hmm. it kind of starting to seem like he's just co-opted uh, someone else's story on that regard. He also notices that the deed of cell doesn't match up with the notes that Gerald has given him. Yeah. Or the note cards that he's bought. And he said he bought it in 69, but the detailed notes go back to a different date. I think it was like two years off, literally like a 69 or 67. And he was trying to say like, well, maybe I, maybe I wrote a nine and I'm in a seven. How do you not know what year you bought a hotel? How do you not know? Or how do you make the same mistake over and over again when you're making these little index typed notes? Yeah. And also... I think there was something about, I think he said maybe some something was inverted on the typewriter, something about the numbers, but it's like, for a guy who's so concerned whether or not these people, he's writing down what they're wearing, how attractive they are. So detailed. He's making up assumptions about their careers and college education. Mm-hmm. Selectively meticulous. It's starting to really not make sense. He seems obsessive, but when you start parsing through his notes, things start getting, like, a little too loose. This was when I wrote in my notes, he brags a lot, so was it all true? And also I did write what pills are Anita on. So his motive is weird, right? Like, he has this whole story, and he says that it's because he wants to, like, say these things he's tracking. But this thing starts coming up where he starts talking more about, like, his sports memorabilia. He wants some notoriety so that he can sell things while literally at the same time being completely paranoid about people finding out (laughs) that he has all this stuff. You start to think at this point how much of this is true, but also, like, what is this guy's endgame? Like, why is he doing this? He has a level of paranoia. Despite how open he is, they have no friends and they don't even really hang out with the neighbors. Yeah. I mean, neither do we, but we'll talk to them sometimes, you know. Gay's article is released and Gerald is surprised at the media response Mm -hmm. to the article. He's finally put it out. Despite some uh, issues regarding a murder story and the notes. And the dates. We should also say that the New Yorker went through the details with a fine-tooth comb, and they questioned a lot of this, too. So I, I believe in the New Yorker article, it actually says these facts could not be verified. Also, this article was a precursor to a book that Gay was writing. Gay does have visual verification that this thing exists. He went there once at the very yeah. beginning a long time ago. He peeped. I believe that Gay saw what he saw. Gerald is surprised at the media response, and he can't stop fucking talking. Anita, there's this amazing, amazing part of the documentary where Anita answers the phone, for some reason hands it over to Gerald, and it's a reporter. But he starts just going, and Anita's amazing because she's going, stop, stop, 
Don't tell him anything. Stop talking. To where he keeps going and keeps going, and she realizes that he is fucking this shit up. Gerald, I need to go now. I've got to get... He was saying things he shouldn't say. He was talking about things Gay told him not to talk about. Well, Gay told him to not talk to the media. Yeah, and they had been avoiding... Like, there's this actually this one point where Anita also sneaks outside to get the newspaper in her sock feet. I kind of fell in love with this woman. Like, I just think she's a sweetheart, and I don't know how she's in this situation. But, like... She walks out in her sock feet to get the newspaper, but she's, like, afraid to go outside because Gay had also told them people may be on your sidewalk, like, on your front lawn. Like, avoid everything. Gerald, he starts in his paranoia now, post-article. He talks about how he doesn't want people to see, like, all his memorabilia and his stuff in his collection. (laughs) Yeah, he gets mad at Gay. He doesn't want people to see the things that he showed a documentary film crew on camera. Yeah, I mean, I think to him, see, it's weird because you mentioned a minute ago that, like, he doesn't have any friends anymore. He basically talks to documentary crew as though they're his only friends. He has this weird perception of reality where these documentary people aren't going to screw him over because they're his buddies. Yeah. Like, they're his friends, so he's going to show them everything. But Gay, who is also supposed to be his buddy, like, tells the world about that he's got this card collection, and he gets fucking pissed because he thinks people are going to come steal his shit like it's this weird if uh, gerald ever committed a murder and he was pulled into an interrogation room he would fucking tell on himself like Can so I tell much. you what i think that if gerald was pulled into an interrogation room for a murder he did not commit he would end up saying that he committed that murder <laughs> like he is a person who could totally be like a false confession could totally be gotten from this man because he just wants people to like him And he wants to talk, and he wants to be the center of attention. Gay is getting a lot of attention, and Gerald is getting jealous. Yeah. And he says at one point, I'm the guy, not him. Gerald doesn't control this anymore. Yeah. He's He's, not okay with that. He's given it to Gay, and now it's Gay's thing. His overconfidence makes him naive in the moments that he can't control. So he went from being a guy who's like, I figured out this thing on how to creep on people. I've had this secret for 47 years. But when but when he doesn't have the room anymore, he just seems very confused. There's also this aspect that I don't know if you picked up on or, or wrote or wrote down, but he mentions a few times that he feels like he is about to die or he thought he would be dead. Like, I think the thing that upset Gerald so much is that He knew Gay was writing the article, that the article was going to be buzzed for the book. But his thing was the book. That was always Gerald's, like, big goal was to be in a book written by Gay. When the article happened and got so much response, it shook him hardcore. I really, truly believe that he wanted to die before this story came out. I don't think he ever wanted to have any of these conversations with anyone. Like, he talks a big game about, I'm going to sell my stuff, and I'm going to, you know, get rich off this and whatnot. And he, like, acts like he's the star when he's in these interviews. But I really think he didn't expect to live that long. And it would have been easier on him. He's very presumptive in that regard. Yeah. A guy from the Washington Post uh, named Paul Farhi, he calls gay. 
because you've been doing some research oh, yeah. on Gerald uh, since this article has come out. It calls about discrepancies regarding dates of sale, and they and the year whole chunks of years don't add up. We're not talking about like the wrong number on an index 67 card. Sixty-seven versus sixty-nine. He's like, anymore, yeah. he's incorrect. Not only about like when he allegedly bought the motel, but about when he allegedly sold it. Mm-hmm. And as it turns out, Gerald confesses and. Gay is like, he's very flabbergasted right now because things are not computing and that his book may very well be tanked. Yeah. And Gerald mentions a name. He mentions a name, Earl Ballard. But apparently, as I understand, as it was explained, that this whole peep shit Mm -hmm. was more of like an Earl Earl Ballard masterminded thing. And that Gerald, he was a peeper. And this room existed, but he was a guy who probably maybe helped out at the motel or something, but he came to peep. Oh, see, I, okay, this was a little confusing. I understood it. I don't think either of us are wrong. Who knows what the truth was, because we don't know what the truth was. I understood it to be that Gerald did have the hotel. Gerald told Earl about what he was doing. Earl was like, I'm down with that. Show me. Earl ends up buying the motel, either to help Gerald out or whatever, But then Gerald said that even though once Earl owned it, Gerald still had complete access to it and that they would go up there together. But for some reason, this whole time, these 30 years or however many years Earl was involved, he hadn't been telling Gay about it because he didn't want to implicate Ballard. Like he didn't want to implicate Earl Ballard. Like he wanted to like protect him somehow. But also if Gerald tells that he didn't own the hotel, that just gets sort of even weirder. People who are researching this guy, they find the name Earl Ballard, and Earl Ballard is not happy about any of this information coming out in any form whatsoever. Yeah. Because people can just look up the records and see that huge swaths of his stories and his claims are from a time when he owned the motel. As I understood it, Earl Ballard owned the motel for the the vast majority of this time. Yeah, for sure, for sure. We don't really know... Like, who truly built the so-called observation That's true. We don't. If we're going only by Gerald's words, as that's Gay's only source for this whole story, it's all thin. It is real. You're right. I didn't even think about that. He could have been basically co-opting Earl's story. I mean, obviously, he took Gay up there in the 80s. Obviously, he had access to this. But maybe it wasn't even his thing to start with. Obviously, he was a peeper. I believe he was a peeper for his whole life. But Gay is a little upset. He's kind of avoiding Gerald at this point because (laughs) things are starting to brew. And uh, Gerald is getting angry at critics. And he's getting angry at Gay because Gerald thinks everyone who talks to him for 10 minutes is his fucking buddy. Mm -hmm. Gerald is upset that people are referencing him to be a creep. Gerald says, basically, they're depicting him as, quote, nothing but a creep. And Anita says, well, well you, you are. are. And, and it was just... And it is the most truest thing spoken in this whole movie. It made me love her even more. And also still be more confused by her because it's like, how do you... You're a creep and I love you. That's kind of what she, you know, like her stance. Like, yeah, that's that's who you are. You are a creep. Like, what else are they going to call you? You just told the world that you peeped on people for years and years and years. This room did exist. But as far as anything else, 
And these notes, they could be made up. We know that Gerald is a fucking creep because Gay can verify that room is real. Mm-hmm. Other than that, all these stories about him planning things, uh, about him witnessing a murder, well, that was pretty much, that was one of the first things that was proven to really not be true. Yeah, there's no way that was true. You know, maybe he saw something, but then he heard about this other thing that happened, and so he blew it up. Like, But it just seems like he's trying to spice up the story. He's addicted to the story. And, and the attention. The reactions. The attention he was getting from Gay. Yes. He wanted to keep him on that string. Like, he wanted to keep him on that lure. Like, he was trying to, he didn't want to lose Gay. As someone who was interested in him. Apparently, uh, at one point, Gerald states that his closest friends are the film crew he that actually, are filming him. He actually says, I love you guys and to that's, the film crew. That's probably the saddest part of this whole movie. Yeah, that's very true. Gerald is a lying creep, and you really can't believe anything he says. I'd say any story that sounded a little too good to be true probably was. Mm-hmm. As far as we know, Earl Ballard is the one that built that observation deck. I mean, we have no we idea. Like, Earl Ballard, if it's not you, you should fucking speak up, and we man. know that Earl. <laughs> we know that Earl Ballard probably does not want his name mentioned over and over again in regard to the story. Earl Ballard doesn't want his Earl name mentioned? Earl Ballard, the guy who probably is the lead creep of this, the true lead creep of this story, probably does not want... Earl Ballard, his name out there. I mean, we're making some big assumptions about Earl Ballard, but I think it's safe to say that I agree. Earl Ballard probably does not want us to say his name at all. Earl Ballard from Mesa, Arizona. No, I don't have his address. So I would say, like, what we didn't talk about, though, is that the book does come out. The same day that the book comes out, there's, like, this huge thing where the gentleman that you mentioned who was doing all the research. From the Post, Paul Fari. There's some information, and maybe it's the, I think it's the Earl Ballard stuff. So when the book comes out, and then he calls Gay with this Earl Ballard stuff, Gay literally discounts the whole book. Someone calls him on the phone, and he says, you know what? This man lied to me, and I had no idea. I've been trusting this man for 30 years, and he lied to me, and don't believe a word in this book. I had no idea. It's kind of like that. Remember that Oprah thing? There was, like, somebody who, like, Oprah endorsed as, like, a book thing for her. And she was like, this is the book everyone in America should read this book. And then the guy was, like, totally full of shit. Like, it was not autobiographical at all. I wish I could remember the name of that. It was, like, a dude's, like, drug story. Yeah, it was, like, how he, like, went through all this shit and, like, came out of it and, like, was a better person. And it was a total crap story. And then she had to, like, Was it James Frey? I do not know. A million little pieces? Maybe. That sounds right. That sounds right. I just remember that being a big deal but it felt that's what i thought of when this happened immediately he was like Dis- discredit it's not true it's not true but then he met again with gerald he brought gerald flowers gerald got real excited and dressed up and then like went out to dinner <laughs> and they made friends again it doesn't take much to get back on gerald's it really doesn't just like they also made a funny comment about how they have to dress up when gay comes over like gay makes them dress up to go out with him or something yeah he's the son of a tailor though that's like yeah gay's he's real thing. gay's real fancy you're not gonna you're not you're not gonna be on gay's level all right never but they try and so they kind of make up and they're friends and gay eventually does go on like a, the seth meyers show i think yeah um what is it late night with seth meyers 
sure. whatever that show is. I don't, I don't know. He goes on there and he basically does say like, listen, I knee jerk reaction. I was upset. I thought I'd been lied to. Please still read my book. I don't yeah. know. And I don't know if anyone ever did because I don't know. It's so funny to me. I feel like this documentary was made at like the perfect time because they got to watch this like whole thing play it, out. It's as much about how a journalist could work on something for years and it all fall apart as it is a story about a, a loser creep. Yeah, and I think I really just, I kind of fell in love with, with Gay through this through this whole thing. Like, I really genuinely like him, and I felt really bad for him when he said at some point about how, like, he didn't want his last, like, big story to be, like, a big lie. I'm totally paraphrasing. That's not the way that he said it, but well, yeah, that's he's why like, he was so upset is because he's, like, 80 years old. He doesn't know how many more stories he has in him, and he wanted to finish this one. You know, this was a big deal. Well... And that's the movie, The Voyeur. <laughs> now, of course, we rate on a revolutionary rating scale called the Herzog scale. It's one through five Herzog. People have come up to me and said, hey, what's your name? I say, I'm Bobby. Like, <laughs> I heard about your fucking rating scale. It's just like the star rating scale, one through five. And I said, first of all, go fuck yourself. Always. Second, it's a Herzog one through five. Two people give their Herzog score. And then they combine that score and that combines out of 10. So for us individually, it's how many Herzogs out of five. And then we mush them together. And then the film, the final film score, is our scores combined to mark it out of 10. How many Herzogs would you give the voyeur? It's hard because this is my first time on the show. It's like those crazy television voting shows where you don't want to vote like too high at the beginning because I don't want to give it like too high of a score because something is going to be better than this. I can tell you what my Jim and Andy Herzog score is. Well, we already rated <laughs> Jim and Andy is an eight out of 10 total Herzogs. Oh yeah. I would have given it a four as well. Mm -hmm. So that's even, that's fair. Um, I'm going to say Herzog I'm going to say my, my voyeur Herzog is 3.5. 3.5. That's a respectable score. I'm going to give it a 3.5. I'm going to give it four out of five Herzogs. Okay. I thought it was a fine documentary. I thought it, it had a it had a nice thematic balance. Mm -hmm. I thought the stuff with Gay Talese was a nice surprise in terms of how that worked out and how that correlates with the story. And I like how their relationship played out. Both Gay and the lion creep Gerald, even though he's a giant lion liar face, yeah. They were fascinating people. This story, I thought it was very well executed. And very well made and very well told in the order of things to where it is a, a lot about this, but then it twists a little. You know, I, I feel like you've just talked me into a four. Only because, like, as you're talking about I'm thinking about all the things I really did love about it. And I really, I'm a sucker for telling me a story. And then it wasn't even like a, oh, but this is what's really happening. But it was, you thought you were in for one thing, and it flipped. So this started out for me as a documentary about voyeurism and this, like, creepo of all creeps, Gerald. But then turned into sort of, like, this story about, again, like, the man who wanted his story told versus the reporter who wants to tell the good story. And as much about, like you said, the relationship 
with this guy. And I would, and I think a big thing for me too, is like, would I watch another documentary by these filmmakers just because it's these filmmakers? Absolutely. And I'm going to say yes. So I'm going to give it a four. I'm going to change my answer to a four. Whoa, these Netflix documentaries are scoring very high on documenteers. You combine our fours. That gives The Voyeur, directed by Miles Kane and Josh Curry, eight out of ten total Hertzogs. And for all you out there, respect each other's privacy and stop lying so much. Oh, yeah.